This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking with me, Marshall Ramsey. This is a show about the most interesting people and stories in Mississippi. Hey, Thanksgiving is a time to reflect on the things that we have, the people that we love, and giving back to others. So today we're going to sit down with our friend Jill Buckley, who's the Executive Director of Stewpot Community Service and John Rogers. We're going to talk with them about the many different programs Stewpot offers and how Stewpot has impacted their lives. Buzz Michelle and I will chat about the latest headlines in the weekly roundup. And if you'd like to be part of the conversation today, well, give us a call. It's 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can drop me an email at marshall at mpbonline.org. Hey, stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hey, welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. Hope you're having a great Monday. It's actually pretty nice weather out there, and that's good. It's not like raining or 500 degrees or 2 degrees, so it's kind of nice. And I uh, hope thank you for joining us and being part of the show. Look, you know, this is the month of Thanksgiving. It's November. And for me, I kind of believe that Thanksgiving should be every day. But I'm kind of, not, not just because I want to eat like that every day, but because, you know, I believe in being thankful. And so that's why we booked our guest today. You know, Stewpot began a long time ago as a simple soup kitchen. It has developed into an organization that offers several wonderful programs, from shelter to clothing to counseling and even children's programs. So today we're sitting down with my good friend, Joe Buckley. She's the director of Stewpot Services. And John Rogers is joined as well. He is a longtime volunteer and uh, interesting guy, too. You're going to really like John a lot, too. So we got a lot of things going on. We're going to jump into that. Hey, 34 years ago today uh, was a very, very important moment in the world's history. One of the greatest comic strips of all time was introduced, Calvin and Hobbes. Came Bill Watterson, the very elusive cartoonist. I have never met him. Not many people have ever seen him. He never merchandised Calvin or Hobbes. You'd think about the tiger. It would have been great. But he came out with probably one of the most um, intellectual uh, cartoons of all time. In Peanuts, I think, are probably the deepest. And it came out. I love it. It's funny. It's one of the few cartoon strips that I think still is relevant today. Uh, you know, it's funny. Kids don't really read newspapers that much anymore, and they don't see the strips. But, you know, my kids, for instance, they love Calvin and Hobbes, and they're just, they'll are just they just pour over my books because I've got the whole collection. But, you know, the neat thing about Bill Watterson was he was an editorial cartoonist before he became the creator of Calvin and Hobbes. And he worked up in Cincinnati, and his editor fired him because he did not draw enough like another cartoonist named Jeff McNally, who actually does the co- who did the comic strip shoe. Jeff since passed away. But it's just kind of interesting that here he was, he was not good enough, and so he just looked at him and said, okay, and went off and started the greatest comic strip of all time. And so that's a really good reminder sometimes when you know people don't like what you do or they don't believe in what you do. You don't listen and you just believe in what you're doing. And um, on another note, too, and I saw this story over the weekend. It just kind of jumped out at me. The last surviving member of the Hindenburg has died. 
age 90. His name was Warner G. Donner. He, um, you know, the Hindenburg, we've seen the O the Humanity. It's one of the greatest uh, moments of the 20th century to see the hydrogen-filled Zeppelin blow up in, in Lakehurst, New Jersey. It went down on May 6, 1937, and Warner and his family were coming over. The The ship only had 36 or about half the, the number of people. 36 people did die, including Warner's father and his sister, but his mother sat there in the window, and you've seen that the clip as it is coming down. You can see the passenger gondola coming closer to the earth, and suddenly people start jumping out of the windows and running, and that's how the survivors survived it. But his mom was throwing him and his sister and his brothers out the window, and his sister later died in the hospital, and his father perished in there. But he died, and his son was saying that one time that his dad took him to Lakehurst, New Jersey, where it happened. Well, it's abandoned now, so there's nothing there. But that his dad never talked about what happened that day. And you got to think it was incredibly traumatic. Eight years old, to lose your dad and to go through one of the most horrific uh, and, and documented disasters of the 20th century. So anyway, Warner G. Donner, the last surviving member of the Hindenburg. Michelle, good morning. How are you, my friend? Good morning. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. Congratulations are in order because I understand that graduation is on the horizon. Like, yes, like uh, within a week. Within a week, December sixth at ten a.m. And you are walking. Uh, of course. Of course. Uh, After five very uh, yeah, long, long years. years, I would not. I actually met. Um, we had one seminar last week, and some of the um, everybody came together: school counselors and rehab and ca- uh, clinical mental health. And uh, we talked about brief assessments, measurements, and things like that. And we stood up and introduced ourselves. And one lady said, unfortunately, I will not be walking with oh, you no. guys next, uh, in a couple of weeks. And I just looked at her. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm sorry, but uh, graduate school is another level than undergrad. I mean, most times you're an adult unless you go back to school right after you graduate right. from undergrad. But right. going back to school as an adult, it's it takes uh, endurance, patience. Oh, my God, patience. I learned patience in the last five years for classmates and my daughter and myself as well. I learned uh, I let go of procrastination. Boy, you sure do that. I'm a year into it myself, and it's yeah. totally re re changed how I do everything. Well, yeah, you have to, um, it's funny how you talk to your kids, especially a teenager I have, and you say, don't procrastinate, and if you have a project, do it now, and you look at yourself, and you're like, I have a project myself that's due now, so it makes you uh, take a look in the mirror and practice what practice what you preach, and I, I have enjoyed this last five years, but I'm glad it is over. I'm incredibly proud of you, and it seems like it's just like yesterday, you're like, I've still got three more years, you know, oh, and it's Lord. like, and that went by so fast, but for you, it did not because I understand because <laughs> no. I tell you, I mean, I took this semester off because I'm teaching a class up at Ole Miss this semester. Like, for instance, I get out of the radio show. I drive to Oxford. I teach a class in the afternoon and then I come back. And so I didn't think I could teach and, you know, work all the jobs I work and be able to do, you know, decent in a graduate class. And it's so weird because when I'm doing that class, it's like it takes up every single moment. And that's kind of the way you've been. Of course, you're single parenting on top of it. So you've got that extra. I mean, I can like poor Amy has to get, you know, she can keep the boat afloat while I'm, you know, sitting up till one o'clock in the morning writing a paper. And, you know, what's funny, you mentioned um, sacrificing when you're in graduate school and you're an adult. Like you say, you have a child that's in basketball and, you know, yeah, you're you're driving them all around. But you all 
you're always thinking that you should be doing something else. So if you want to enjoy a holiday movie or if you want to enjoy... Oh, that's the thing. You can't enjoy... You really, in the back of your mind, you're you're like, I should not be enjoying this right now. I have actually have something to do. So that's my state of mind for the last five years, trying to balance enjoying life and responsibilities at the same time. So again, what you talked about teaching, I was thinking about um, doing an adjunct professor gig uh, Mm -hmm. after I get done. I think you'd uh, find it very rewarding. I think so too. Yeah, the kids, and, uh, the kids, fun. and I say the kids, they're not kids, but right. they absolutely will energize you. And, you know, we went on a college tour on Friday with my son, mm-hmm. which was out of state. He's looking in state and out of state. And we were up there. And, you know, not, number one, college has totally changed because it's like when I was there, that you went to the cafeteria and they'd throw slop on your plate. <laughs> and, you know, now you have your choice of vegan, vegan oh, or yeah. fast food, oh, or you God. can do, you know, gluten free. It's like, no, they would give me like a big plate of gluten when I went to school. But also, too, it was so neat to talk to the different students because they are so incredible focused and they know there's a series that they do a documentary uh, he's looking to become a journalist which I'm kind of like no you know because I'm one of those Uh, but no he um, there's a documentary series that they do up there called Land Grant and I mean like these kids they they do this they work on this documentary and then they get picked up by giant corporate you know big media because they're so talented and I just look at the opportunities they have now and and I was looking at it, and of course, you know, as uh, somebody who feels like they just got out of college two days ago, and it's, this was my alma mater. So I'm walking around my alma mater, and, you know, I see, you know, I've, I start sounding like my dad. I'm like, well, that building wasn't there, and that building wasn't there, and that building wasn't there. But there's one point where we walked in there, and they had my picture up on the wall. And my son looked at it, and he said, that's going to take some real getting used to if I come here. <laughs> I was like, okay, definitely. I went, I, I went to an out-of-state college to get away from you. <laughs> No, I know exactly. I don't want to see you every day. On <laughs> no, the wall. it's like, like you know. No, I'm, we got Facetime, buddy. We're going to be seeing each other a lot. But it, it was neat and it was really cool. And um, went to go see Garth Brooks, which was fun too. Oh, cool. uh, How yeah. was that? Uh, Eighty-four thousand of my friends in low fr- places together. We were all crammed in the stadium. It was really like <laughs> I tell you what, and I'll say this about this: there are two entertainers that I've seen that can fill a coliseum or a stadium. And I've seen you know a lot. I've seen Van Halen. I've seen really big bands in big arenas. Billy Joel did it. I saw him up in Memphis, and that guy made you feel like you were in a small club with him. He really had a gift at that. And also, too, um, of course, Garth Brooks. Here we were in a stadium that seats 102,000 people, so it's a huge stadium. And we literally felt like he was just kind of sitting down with us and having a chat. And he had so much enthusiasm and so much life. And, you know, he just got Entertainer of the Year from the, the, the Country Music Awards, but the guy absolutely seems like he loves what he does when he does it, and it comes across as being incredibly sincere, and that's hard to fake. I was going to say that. When someone is authentic and unapologetically authentic, you will notice. And I, um, that's a good segue into our guest today. When people do... Oh, oh no, Jill, no, Jill. You, Jill, you can't... Oh, Jill, man, but, I tell you, you can't trust but her as far as you John, um, the volunteer... Now, John, on the other John, his, John is super trustworthy. Yeah. <laughs> no, but John and his <laughs> wife and the volunteers that... Uh, when you do something because you want to and not because someone's forcing you or for um, publicity... Yeah, you don't do... For, yeah, you know, right. For uh, just to put on your resume and say I'm doing it, people can sense that. People know that. So if you if if you get anything else from me, uh, anything out of what I say today, whatever What'd you, you say? do, <laughs> whatever you do, do it authentically. No, do I'm, it uh, from the bottom of your heart. Well, I mean that you know that's I'm, from a good morning to right. a how how are you doing? Well, you don't do you do it because you're doing it kind. You know we 
we talked to Bill Morris a couple of weeks ago when he obviously uh, met the, the gentleman from the blue from the moon glow who was dying. I mean, he was alcoholic. He was close to death and everything else. Bill loved the guy. He just did it, but he didn't do it for his own good. Right. He did it because he loved the guy and the music and he was grateful for the art that he brought him. And, you know, he helped him, you know, wean off the bottle and helped him. Re- re- and so the guy ended up having a great life for the rest of his life because he made that friendship and Bill didn't do it for himself, right. but all kinds of great things happened because Bill got to meet other people that he loved but he didn't do it for that reason. Right. Yeah. Right. So your advice is very sound. Yeah, it, is. it is. All right. Well, let's take a break. No, let's not. <laughs> we don't need to take a break. We'll just continue talking all day. No, actually, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with the aforementioned guest, Jill Buckley, Director of Stew Pot Services, and John Rogers. He'll be joining us as well. Stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. There's a place in your heart. I know that it is love and place was brighter than tomorrow. And if you really try, you'll find there's no need to cry. It's place you feel there's no hurt or sorrow. There are ways to get there. Alright, welcome back. This is now you're talking on MPB. Your host, Marshall Ramsey. I'm of Mississippi today. I'm editor large at Draw Cartoons as well. And you might also see me on a little TV show called Conversations that we do here on MPB as well. A stew pot began as a simple soup kitchen and has developed into a pretty cool organization that offers several wonderful programs from shelter to clothing to counseling and even children's programming. I tell you what, I've had the chance to be able to volunteer in the past. I need to get back down there because if you want to absolutely um, have a life-changing experience, being able to volunteer for Stupot is one of them. It's just really great. And it's one of those things I always I think that people need to take their kids down to and help them on that because it kind of makes them realize, you know what, you got it pretty good. You got it pretty good. But Stupot does an awful lot. It is, um, I think it's a hand up as much as it is as a handout. And so we've got in studio my longtime friend, I think one of the first people I met when I moved to Mississippi, Jill Buckley, the director of Stewpot Services, and John Rogers is here. He's a longtime volunteer. Um, he's here via Texas, but he kind of took a long way to get to here to Mississippi. And of course, like a lot of folks, he married a beautiful Mississippi girl, so <laughs> that's how he ended up here. But I'm glad you're here, John. I'm glad you're in the studio as well. Jill, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be back. You sure? Yes, absolutely. Okay, just, just checking. 100%. Oh, I just want to make sure everything's going good. Yeah. How is everything going? I know you've been busy down at Stewpot. Yes, this is one of our busiest times of year because not only because it's last week, it's getting colder. And so a lot more people are coming inside to the shelters, need 
clothes and sweaters and blankets and things like that. But uh, we also give away Thanksgiving baskets at Thanksgiving. And so it's, uh, I mean, traffic increases. And so we've been just trying to make sure we have everything we need. Yeah, it's definitely ramping up. It is, mm-hmm. you know, it's amazing because it's like 107 degrees and then suddenly it's down to 20. There, there was no, no in between. No one was prepared. No, it just cut us off. I was like, wait, what happened to summer? Oh, yeah, it ended three months ago, but you wouldn't know about the temperature. Yes. All right. I know a lot about you. But the listeners may not know a lot about you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got hooked up with StuPot. So I came to StuPot for the first time in the late 90s as StuPot's ever for, uh, volunteer, first ever volunteer director. Yeah. So from 1981 until 1996, StuPot basically ran on volunteer efforts. There were a few staff members, a director, directors of programs. But all of the volunteer efforts were coordinated by volunteers. And so when StuPot hired me as the volunteer director, it was a shift for them. Yeah. Well, being kind of on the ground and in the mix at StuPot with volunteers from all over Jackson, from all kinds of houses of worship, um, being on the ground with people experiencing homelessness and people living in poverty, completely transformed uh, my trajectory in life. And so, um, so after I left uh, StuPot in 2000, I went on and got my degree, um, a Master of Divinity degree from Boston University, and, uh, and then came back and was a pastor for 12 years. I know. It's like when you came back, it's like, oh, she came back. <laughs> I did. I was did. so glad to see that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Mississippi is my home. And uh, and then back in 2016, when StuPot started looking for an executive director, um, just my discernment path led me to, I would really like to go back and be part of that work again. So I've been back as executive director since January to 2017. Wow. Tell us real quickly a little bit about, because you, you touched <clears throat> on it, many people of faith, because it was, it was just kind of a really neat, I would say congregation, that's not right, a, a neat a group of churches that came together that said, okay, we see a need, so this is how we do it. Tell us a little bit about how it got started. Yes. Well, you have just identified the thread that runs all through StuPot's history is uh, groups of congregations, mostly houses of worship, who identify a need in the city and say, we can do more together, really, than we can try to do separately. So uh, pulling resources and volunteers to try to make it happen. So StuPot began in 1981 as a soup kitchen, as you've said, and grew very quickly from there as the people who came to serve started seeing the other needs that people had. And so um, grew from just serving lunch five days a week to seven days a week to starting a food pantry to starting a shelter for women and children to a clothing closet, a medical clinic. And so it's grown over the past um, 38 years to now uh, serving about, we serve about 500 people a day in our various ministries, and uh, and we operate 11 ministries, but we also house an additional 13, I mean, wow. additional three, excuse me, so we okay. have 14 altogether. But that, the thing is, I mean, and it's so easy to say, I see a need, we need to address it, but then suddenly you create the infrastructure and you have to keep it going and you have to keep it running. So at that point, it's like, oh, wow, what, what, what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, StuPot has grown, I think, uh, very kind of front really in a kind of grassroots way its yeah. entire existence so that um so that 
there's we don't do anything unless there's volunteer and financial support. Right. Okay. It. I was going to ask if you was like, so okay, let's jump into the pool first, or let's. See. Although, yeah. So occasionally something will kind of land on our doorstep, and we'll say, well, is this ours to do? And the first question you you ask is. Well, is there enough volunteer and will to make this happen? Because yeah. if we lose that, then we're kind of losing our DNA. Right. If we don't really still kind of rely on the community to make it happen, then that's kind of our DNA. We're not being who we originally are or need to continue to be anymore. I love the the seven churches are there: Calvary Baptist, Capitol Street Methodist, Central Presbyterian, Galloway United Methodist, St. Andrew's Episcopal, St. Peter's Catholic, and St. James Episcopal. And I guess it's grown at this point. You have support coming from all over the place now. So we estimate that we have about 200 congregations, houses of worship that support us. Although really we have lots of just individual volunteers who might not be part of congregations right now in their lives or uh, like a lot of businesses who come you'll accept all comers right yeah so um so even john even john rogers (laughs) especially john rogers i'm about to say john welcome to the show it's good to see you thank you thank you um let me ask you a little bit about you because like i said there you start out in texas and go ahead and tell the story about how you got here because it's a great story well I was going through graduate school, making my way from Texas on up to Oklahoma and Colorado. And in graduate school, I met my future wife, Barbara. I was a teaching assistant for a class she was taking. And uh, we got to talking after class and got to be friends and maintained that friendship for about five years and got together again back in Montana and got married in Montana. And then as our folks grew, grew older, well, we needed to get back home and we came back to Mississippi. So what attracted you to Stupot? I got involved through uh, Judy Lacey, which was one of the early members of the Stupot group. And she invited me to come down and help out. And after that, it was just uplifting. Yeah. You know, it's... Um, when your spirit's being nourished like that, you can't really necessarily define it at the moment, but you know you've had a great experience afterwards. And the people are so appreciative. So uh, I got so much out of it, I just kept coming back. And then Judy eventually decided to move with her husband, Raymond, and said, would you take over? And I was hooked. And you said, sure. Sure. Yeah. But you're right. I think you touched on it. And, of course, it's what Michelle said. You were doing something to help others, and you weren't even thinking about yourself, but suddenly you found this, like, real kind of sense of self-satisfaction. Uh, yeah. yeah. yeah you pretty, get blessed. Definitely. How did, how did like I said, a lot of people think Stupot's just a soup kitchen like we were talking about. And you you'd already touched on it. It's more than just a hot meal. Tell us a little bit about the different programs that Stupot offers. Sure. I like to divide them into um, two different umbrellas. So first, emergency services, which is what most people know us for, soup kitchen or lunch every day of the year, food pantry. We operate three shelters, one emergency shelter for men, one emergency shelter for women and children. That's Billy Brumfield House and Matt's House. People recognize those names, I think. we also have a day shelter, Opportunity Center day shelter, which gives people people a place to take showers and go to the bathroom and get their mail and wash their clothes and get a cup of coffee. That's a very important part, uh, important part of what we do. We also have a, a clothing closet that falls under that, that part of the umbrella. 
Under supportive services, I would put our ministries to children and teenagers. So we have an after-school program and summer camp for kindergarten through 12th grades. Um, and we serve about 180 to uh, 200 kids and teens every year, partly because we're we're located on the edge of a neighborhood, but because that's another thing that started because some volunteers came and they started noticing during the summertime, especially there are a lot of kids hanging out that didn't have anything good to do. And so Stupot took on, um, took on the, the role of being a, a safe, fun place for kids and teens in the inner city to gather and grow and learn. We also have an art program that meets once a week, HeartWorks, and St. Dominic's Community Clinic offers a, um, a community health, St. Dominic's offers a community health clinic in our, our basement uh, for anyone who does not have um, insurance, um, not just the people in that area, but anyone can come who does not have insurance. And, uh, and we have a chapel service that meets uh, every day but Sunday. So, I mean... A lot of people talk about the safety net. Of course, that's basically you're the safety net for the safety net. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> I like to see us as both kind of a, a safety net uh, to keep people from falling further. In a trampoline. Through, uh, yes. To be able to help them great, jump back absolutely, up. Absolutely. That's that's key. The commun- That's the part of the community of what we do is not just the service itself, but the way that we surround people with caring volunteers and caring staff members so that uh, so that when they can get back on their feet, I mean, there are people there that they trust and people that, that can you know, give them the, the right resources to help them. So so we kind of serve both roles as kind of the net, but also the community that can surround someone. Well, that's the thing that you were talking about, the day services, the clothing, you know, being able to. So if you've got an interview and you need a place where they can contact you because sometimes if you're on the streets, it's, it's hard to break out of that because you're like, well, I don't have a mailbox. I don't have an email. I don't have a, you know, and so you can go there. You can get the shower. You can get the wardrobe. You can get some coaching. You can get some assistance. And next thing you know, you're probably working on the way to get back out of out of homelessness. Yes. We work very hard to find out what people need. If we don't have it, we reach out to our partners and say, can you help with this? I mean, uh Work shoes and work clothes are kind of our big thing. Sometimes somebody needs like a just good pair of black shoes, good pair of black pants. We just figure out, okay, here are the people that we know that we can call who really want to help us with this stuff. And every time somebody comes up with that, we're like, okay, let's just start the phone network going. So, yeah, yeah we try to make it happen. Let's touch on a few you know, you've, you've mentioned some of the things that you do. Stupot's Rapid Rehousing Program. Tell us about that. Oh, this is such an important part of what we do. Um, you know, the research indicates that the longer someone lives in homelessness, the harder it is to get out of homelessness. Yeah. So um, this Rapid Rehousing Grant that we uh, operate through HUD uh, helps us to give people kind of a short-term rental subsidy if they're staying in one of our shelters or if they are living out on the street. It's really intended for people who don't uh, have any other resources. So right. it helps them get uh, from the shelter or from the street into a living situation, an apartment, a room, and then that able enables us to surround them with support so they can kind of recover and be on the roads to stability. That um, particular program has shown to be uh, effective over time, more effective over time than like your your typical transitional shelter model, which is why HUD has put so much money into it. And so uh, we last year helped 74 
uh, households get uh, rehoused uh, from our shelters or from the street so that people can recover from being homeless. I had a friend who actually went to one of the shelters uh, for domestic abuse and went there. And she's like, she said, that first night, I just realized I didn't have anything. And to be able to have that and be able to have that help to be able to get out of that as well. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to continue our conversation with Jill Buckley, Director of Stupot Services, and John Rogers, who's sitting here as well. He's a longtime volunteer, pretty good guy too. If you have any questions or comments, well, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Hey, stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. podcast. some good music right there folks all right welcome back thanks for joining us today you could be anywhere but you're here with us and we really appreciate it we got a great show going on of course if you want to be part of it you can give us a call at 877 mpb ring of course this is now you're talking with me marshall ramsey and if you're just joining us like i mentioned it's a really good show we've got jill buckley she's the director of stew pot services and john rogers has been a longtime volunteer as well and like I said, if you want to give us a call, it's at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Jill, you know, it's funny because I'm kind of looking at some of the things that were, you know, on the website and so forth, some of the programs you're doing, and you, you constantly are evolving and changing. What are some programs that are new for 2019 and, and coming up in 2020? Well, um, the rapid rehousing program that I just mentioned is relatively new for us. Yeah. Um, How did that come about? Uh, that is really um, HUD. The HUD Department of Housing and Urban Development has switched its focus from funding 
uh, transitional shelters to funding rapid rehousing because the research proved that it was so much more effective for people experiencing homelessness. And so yeah. and so we applied for the grant and got it. And so that that's how that came about. That's wonderful. Yeah. And that is kind of how sometimes yeah. that happens is the evolution of a ministry is, you know, you learn best practices mm-hmm. and you change what you're doing so that you can uh, can adopt the new best practices. Because hopefully we're always growing and changing and learning so that we can do better and better and better for the people that we serve. Oh, I remember the day that you and it's funny how people react to change. But I remember when you used to just you do you go serve at Stupot and you'd stand behind the table and you'd serve everybody and then you'd like disappear. Right. So but now you serve everybody and then you go sit down and you sit amongst everybody you're serving. And you talk to them and get to know them a little bit. And I always thought that change was like brilliant because it really did kind of like, OK, this is this is better. This is more real. We think about all the important things that can happen around a table with people. And unfortunately, you know, so many of the people we serve live largely invisible lives. And um, and because for the most part, we who don't travel in those circles don't know them. We can assume a lot about their lives. Right. And so that really is a transformative element. It's just sitting down talking to someone who has such a vastly different life, vastly different experience than you. And uh, and that can change your perspective on homelessness. It can change your perspective on your own life. <laughs> uh, that, to me, is one of the gifts that Stupot has to offer for people who come to serve, not just the ability, the, the place to serve someone, which we all believe in doing, but also the, the real um, opportunity to meet someone that you might not ever right. otherwise get a chance to meet that might really impact your life in some unexpected way. You change your perspective, um, you know, take you out of yourself a little bit. So is, that's an opportunity yeah. that we can give. Oh, and that's so 2019 is to get in the middle of yourself. So it is good to get out of yourself occasionally. I, I remember in San Diego, we lived um, right in the middle of downtown San Diego, and there was a gentleman that lived across the street in the parking garage. And every night he would sing the most beautiful show tunes. He had the most wonderful voice. So one day we had a little vending machine that you could buy tokens and hand it to people and they could go get a meal. That was Mm -hmm. how it worked. And they could get them. And so that was instead of just giving them money. And so we would try to, you know, here you go, get some food. And I said, tell me your story. And he said, well, you know, I'm from the Chicago area. My family knows I'm out here. I'm bipolar and I can't afford my medicine. And, you know, so you you start realizing suddenly he became a guy that you hear this lonesome voice to like he was a real human being. Mm -hmm. And that's huge. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Mm -hmm. And that's like I said, you get that too when you're sitting there talking to people. Yeah. One of the greatest movements, we put on my um, Master Divinity hat for a second. One of the greatest movements in theology was in the past, you know, maybe five decades when uh, kind of liberation theology emerged on the scene mm-hmm. where uh, people, you began to do theology from the perspective of people on the ground. Yeah. So that, as one of my professors put it, the people who were objects now become subjects, right? So right. that is one of our goals at Stupot is not to make people into projects, but to keep them as subjects. They're subjects in their own lives. They have their own stories. They have a lot to teach us uh, who aren't in their shoes. And so, I mean, we have a lot to teach each other. Um, so that, I mean, I think that's one of the most important things is to say, 
tell me your story. Yes, because I tell you, you start stripping humanity from people, that's when all, all kinds of bad things start happening. Yes. Definitely on that. The the food <clears throat> pantry, and you were telling me about some changes there on, on the food pantry. Tell us a little bit about how that works, but also how you changed how it works. Yeah, I'm going to mention something about that and flip it over to John, because John has been very involved in our food pantry, which is why I invited him to come with us today. So uh, our food pantry started in 1982 and worked out of the same space, uh, the basement of the old Central Presbyterian Church since then. And through some generous donations, we were able to do renovations and move it to somewhere that's more accessible to the people who need it. It's bigger. It increases our ability to serve. But we moved it from like the traditional food pantry model where you kind of give people from the stock of what you have, like you create food bags for them and give them to them to more like a grocery market model where people can come in and shop for their own food based on a list of of uh, a shopping list based on their family size. So, um, so it's a much more respectful way to do I'm it. I'm about to but say, also, you don't feel like you're taking a handout that way. You exactly. feel like you're going you to the grocery store. You can right. choose. It's one of the casualties of living in poverty or being in homelessness is that you lose a lot of choice. There's a lot of freedom of choice that you lose. And so, um, and so anyway, so we, we love that movement. Um, John and his wife, Barbara, we brought them on board early on. It's kind of a, a core group of volunteers who would help us move from this old model to this new model because there are a lot of things to talk about. I really want to kick it over to him to, for him to talk about his experience in the food pantry because I know about it at kind of a 30,000-foot level, but yeah. John knows about it on the ground. When I first got it started, we had to go upstairs or downstairs, and there was no access for people that were handicapped in the way of transportation. And so sometimes you'd have people shop for other people, come down and do that sort of thing. And now if you can get over the curb, it's all ramps. There's no steps after that. Oh, that's great. And so now you have a setup where you still have the same interview technique, the same process as far as that, but a nicer waiting room. People come in. And then we have uh, three to four volunteers, usually about three, that will handle these carts and help the people get started with their carts and have a list. And so as we get a person available, we will invite the next client to come up and set them up with the cart and say, okay, now we're going to go down this aisle here, and you can choose eight items or whatever from along here. And it's always surprising because some people are interested in French-cut green beans, and other people want garbanzo beans. I mean, we used to have to push the garbanzo beans but you never knew what you don't know what people are going to want, and so you just say, "This is what we got," and you can have eight items or ten items, depends on how many people are in the family. You can have so many items of this and so many items of that, and you see immediately too what you're short of. Right. You know, you all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, we got one can of greens left. And everybody loves greens. Greens are really popular, too. That, that's, that's a you, big thing yeah. in the South. And no greens. I mean, about half the time you go down there, there's no greens on the shelf. So greens, mixed vegetables. Mixed vegetables are great because you can do stews and soups, all sorts of uses for them, and they're healthy. So it's interesting to see. Canned meats. People love canned tuna. And it's good for them. Yeah. You know, so, Protein. There you yeah, go. It's great. Uh Grits, oatmeal, things you wouldn't even think of. You think of cereal. And right now we are well set up for cereal. But 
not for grits, not for oatmeal. Really? Yeah, and we can split dry foods and everything. So but we, you can you can throw out a blast to everybody saying, "Hey, look, these are exactly the things that we need because you know what's moving off the shelf and what you yeah, obviously the yeah, empty spots." And right. and like we talked a little bit before we came on the air, that helps reduce waste. It really does. Yeah, yeah. you know, and the, the food pantry is set up now where you come Monday through Thursday, nine to eleven, and sign up, and you go down there, or Tuesday afternoons from one to three. Yeah, We used to be open on Fridays, but now they use that for stocking and inventory. So at the end of the week, they can tell exactly what they're short of and what they need. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're always happy to you call down and they'll tell you what they need. <laughs> and uh, sometimes what I'll do, and I want to offer this to anyone, is that when I – because I shop at Kroger – and I will, if I see something that's a really good deal, I will take a picture of it and put it on my Instagram yeah. and just tell everyone, you know, please, you're going to spend $5, but you can buy 10 cans of soup. That's the one I just did. Oh, yeah. So please, if you're coming to Kroger anytime in the next couple of days, please buy those and get them to us. So, if, I mean, if you, I'm, my rev, my handle on, on uh, Instagram is Rev Jill. And if you want to get that information, you, you know, every once in a while I'll post that. I mean, you can also get pictures of my precious seven year old. Yeah, he's a good looking kid. But, uh, but you would, uh, you would also hear from us about what, what's available and what we need. And of course, you know, this need is something that's year round too. I mean, we're talking about right before Thanksgiving about food and everything, but, you know, keep checking your Instagram just to make sure that you can get the stuff year round. But this obviously, this time of year is huge because people are get, trying to get together with families or whatever and they want to have that meal. So that's important. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Of course, we're very fortunate to have in the studio Jill Buckley, a longtime friend, of course. Director of Stewpot Services as well. And we've got John Rogers is here too, a longtime volunteer. And if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 877 MPB Ring. That's 877 672 7464. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I see skies of blue and clouds of white. Right, blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking with me, Marshall Ramsey, and thanks for joining us. We've had a great conversation with Jill Buckley, the director of Stupa Services, and longtime volunteer John Rogers is in the house as well. And we have the very motivational and uplifting, inspiring bumper music today, courtesy of Michelle. Thank you so much. 
good job today. I, I tell you what, um, one thing I love about your fundraisers, that all your fundraisers generally involve food. Yes, they do. You have, delicious you food, have figured out the South about as well as anybody. Yes, yes. Delicious yeah. food. So Taste of Mississippi, which usually happens in the spring. Yeah, in April. Yes, uh, brings around I mean, some of the best restaurants in town. You can sample. You kind of pay one ticket and get in. You sample. And then our Red Beans and Rice Festival, which uh, happens in the fall, which is a wonderful outdoor family event. Yeah. Just kind of pits. Uh, groups against each other to see who has the best recipe. So, I mean, it's uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Yeah, I've had the uh, honor and privilege and pleasure of being a judge in the past of the Taste of Mississippi. And usually when you judge things like that, you take it with, you know, a little dose of fear because eating 15,000 different types of food, you never know what's going to happen to you. Man, that's one of those deals where everything you eat is delicious and you walk out of there going, okay, they all won. It's so hard to pick a winner. There's a lot of good food. There are a lot of good chefs uh, in in the city uh, at some of the main restaurants that you and I can think of and probably visit and some yeah. that are kind of less well-known. I mean, it's a great way to just celebrate the gifts and skills of people here in our city. Yeah, we are blessed. Per capita, mm-hmm. I think we do about as well as food as any place in the country. I on think that so. Too. Uh, some of the other ways that y'all raise, raise money. Or some other. I mean, obviously, you have donations. You have individual donations. How can people help, and what are the ways they can find you? Yeah. So um, on our website, it's a really good way to find ways to contribute. Uh, our website is www.stewpot.org. Yeah. And we always have information there on on what's going on uh, at the time. So during the summer, of course, we do a lot of fundraising for our children and teen programs for a summer camp. We do not require um, the families to pay at all for the kids and teens to be there. Wow. Um, a lot of, you know, anybody, any family who's staying in our shelter can send their kids for free. If there are other families staying at other shelters around town, they can send their kids for free. Uh, it's really a major kind of just way to serve the community who other would otherwise those kids would, wouldn't be at home, be on the streets. Um, so, so we raise money for that. We are always needing food, uh, money to buy food, right? Um, to to buy what we need to um, to serve uh, in the community kitchen, to to serve what we need in the pantry. Uh, we get a lot of great donations. We rely on donations to the year, but we also kind of fill in the gaps by buying what we need, like the Mississippi Food Network. Kroger has really been good to us and helping us buy stuff in bulk. So, so yeah, we're, there's the website contains a lot of good information about what we need, kind of seasonally. You're in the middle of a capital campaign too, and I mean, I think sometimes, yeah, you've you've wrapped that up, or you all wrapped up on it. Yeah, so okay. that was part of the food pantry that we just opened. Okay. Was kind of the end of that. Capital well, you mentioned you had a, you had an architect wandering the building too, so yeah, I didn't know if you so had anything always, on the horizon. Yeah, so we're in a building that's a hundred years old. And uh, and so we are just trying to make sure that we're taking care of that building uh, in ways that will last. So we think of ourselves as a real um, um, anchor in the yeah. community that we are in. And so we want in every way to take the best care of what's ours so that we can continue to be that, not oh, just sure. for uh, just for the people who are transient and come and go, but also for the whole neighborhood. We want to make sure that Definitely. we're a good anchor for that neighborhood. Definitely. We have a caller. We have Christine on the line. Hello, Christine. How are you? What's your uh, question or comment? Hi. Um, um, I do community ministries at a downtown church in Memphis, 
and wondered what you did in order to make the downtown churches that are affiliated with Stewpot more welcoming and um, what kind of things have you noticed? I love the idea about the vending machine that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one was in San Diego. It I don't was. Know. Mm-hmm. But um, I love the idea that people might contribute that way. Um, we need shelter so much, especially for women in Memphis. And I wondered what Stupot had done um, in order to accommodate the needs. Thanks so much. I'll get off the phone. I appreciate the call. So first I'll say that the congregations that initially came together to support us are still um, being welcoming and hospitable at their places of worship. So they don't choose between uh, being welcoming and supporting Stupot and and doing it at their place of worship. So St. Andrew's Cathedral, Galloway Methodist Church, St. Peter's Catholic Church, all those downtown congregations are doing both. Right. And see it part of their as part of their mission. I'm so grateful for that. They're not that. just washing their hands of the issue by saying, Oh, here you yes. take care of it. So they see yeah. see both as really important part of their mission. Um, in terms of women's shelters, there are a, a lot of great models about how to do this. I know Nashville has this wonderful kind of um interfaith hospitality network where congregations actually can open up uh during the cold months of the year and serve as host sites. Uh, in a round and a cycle for um, for people who are experiencing homelessness, because that's of course when the, the shelters fill up the most. Yeah, uh, we have worked really hard here in uh, in our city to to collaborate as best as we can uh, with all the other ministries and just make sure. Okay, well, according to the data that we gather, how many beds do we need? Okay, well, we know we have this many beds. How many beds can you provide? So that requires a different level of collaboration and cooperation among the service agencies where we're uh, not just kind of on the ground doing the work, but we're actually looking at the data and saying, yeah. you know, according to what we have gathered, what do we need? What is Stupot's role? What is the other role in helping to make that happen? Uh, we got just a few more seconds left. Is there any final thoughts? And, of course, how can people get involved? Well, um, we cannot do what we do without the community. I mean, yeah. that's, that's our DNA, like I said at the beginning. You can go to our website, stewpot.org, to find out opportunities. You can call us at 601-353-2759 to find out more. I will say that we write this. We don't need any more volunteers for the month of November because it's a very active time of year for us. But as we kind of move through the winter And especially into January, February, where things get cold and stay cold, we really need for people to show up and help in those times of year, too. Jill, John, thank you so much for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving early. Thank you. You All right. You you too, Marshall. Very good. Uh, We want to thank you for joining us and thank our guest, Jill Buckley, Director of Stewpot Services, and John Rogers, a longtime volunteer at Stewpot. And if you'd like to hear this show again or any past episodes, visit mpbonline.org slash now you're talking and listen to it on our podcast. Now You're Talking is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is produced by Michelle McAdoo. Stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell. And join us next week for more Now You're Talking here on MPB Think Radio. Y'all have a great week. Oh, yes, it will. It's been too.